Hello there everyone, I'm Rob, a producer on the Black Country Talking News, and this week's edition is for the 19th of October 2022. Hello and welcome to the Black Country Talking News, brought to you by the Cyclos Charity Beacon Centre. We are pleased to confirm that the Talking News is now available via Alexa. Once you've enabled the Talking Newspaper skill, all you need to do is play Talking Newspapers and ask for the Black Country Talking News. Our Talking News service is also available via the free Wireless for the Blind app. It can be found on the Beacon Centre website www.beaconvision.org forward slash talking hyphen news as a podcast via services such as Apple or Spotify or as a free CD simply contact Beacon Centre on 01902 we hope you enjoy this week's edition thank you Angela it's been for us this week we have myself Rob Mina Ian Helen Angela, Alastair, Christine, Liz, Craig, Ed, Jan, and of course, Flashback Roger. In this week's edition, we have an update from Beacon, some local news in the Black Country. Had the quiz with Mina, news from Wolves and West Bromwich Albion, a Did You Know section from Flashback Roger, the weather, an article explaining the legal rights of access for guide dog owners, Craig's Black Country joke book, and rounding us off, we have some more gardening tips for October. However, we start this week with a quick announcement. Our quizmaster and meteorological expert Mina recently won an award for outstanding contribution to the sight loss community at the Thomas Pocklington Trust's annual conference and award ceremony. Not only does she help on the talking news, but she also helps many other sight loss organisations and initiatives around our region. Well done, Mina. Up now, with I guess the sound question. I'm going to play a sound clip, and all you have to do is simply guess what it is. So... Here's this week's clip. Have a think on that, and Mina will reveal the answer later, alongside the usual quiz answers. We have now then, as always, some local news. Put us by Ed, Liz, Christine, Ian, and first up, it's Angela. A great deal of money will be wasted due to councils having to rework housing plans, authority bosses have warned. Dudley Council pulled out of the Black Country plan to identify suitable greenbelt land in the region for thousands of new homes. And now Walsall, Wolverhampton and Sandwell are also to go it alone and draw up their own plans. Councillor Kerry Carmichael, leader of Sandwell Council, said We are disappointed that the joint approach we have all been working towards for many years has fallen through. The government has set challenging targets for new housing in Sandwell, so it's important we progress planning for Sandwell's future housing and employment needs, whilst continuing to listen to the feedback and information that we receive from residents, businesses, investors and other stakeholders. We've now decided that the best way to work towards achieving these aims is to develop our own local plan for Sandwell. Councillor Ian Brookfield, leader of Wolverhampton Council, added, Dudley Council's decision to walk away from the Black Country plan will lead to delays and extra costs, which is disappointing after the four authorities collaborated over a number of years to progress the plan so far. We will now work with people we can trust to meet our legal requirements to prepare a local plan for Wolverhampton, that delivers the necessary housing and employment land in a sustainable way and provides certainty for our communities, businesses and stakeholders. Councillor Patrick Harley, who leads Dudley Council, said the decision was regrettable but necessary in order to protect the Green Belt, with the borough able to just about meet its housing requirements without relying on the Green Belt land. He added the housing needs of other authorities, mainly Wolverhampton, had meant the vital spaces, including the Triangle on Swindon Road and lands south of Holbeach Lane in Kingswinford, would be swallowed up for housing. 
A row erupted at a Dudley council meeting as one councillor was described as lazy and a used car salesman, and another said he had been referred to as scum. The argument was sparked over the long-standing feud between the Tories and Labour over the Anchor Lane tip. Access to Anchor Lane in Cosley has been denied to residents after Dudley Council and Wolverhampton Council failed to agree a deal. This has led to an increase in fly tipping and littering and residents deciding to take measures into their own hands by spending hundreds of pounds on private skips. Now, Councillor Shaz Salim, Cabinet Member for Highways and Public Realm, has said the Conservatives don't only talk the talk, but walk the walk, by providing a mobile recycling unit which will be available from 9am to 4pm on the third Saturday of every month. The Cabinet Member also took the opportunity to level a shot at Upper Gornal and Woodsetton Councillor Adrian Hughes, who he called a used car salesman for pledging to open the Anchor Lane tip to residents in his election campaign. In response, Councillor Hughes said, You can say, oh, we're investing whatever, but that is not being felt on the ground. The borough is a tip. You're neglecting the borough. Weeds are everywhere. Fields are not being cut on time. Alleyways are a joke. You can try to sit there and dismiss these concerns, but you can't. When are you going to fix these problems? In response to the mobile recycling unit, Councillor Kieran Casey asked why it had taken 19 months for a replacement service for the Anchor Lane tip to be put in place. He said, we've been raising this issue and putting alternatives in place since then. So it is a bit ridiculous to claim it as a massive victory when we are 19 months down the line. Councillor Casey also raised doubts as to whether the tip would be sufficient to provide for all the residents in the north of Dudley. The mobile recycling unit will be available from October the 22nd on Lister Road. The Leveling Up Secretary has backed the West Midlands to host at least one of the government's new investment zones when they are announced next month. The region has put forward a number of potential sites for investment zone status, which will see taxes cut for businesses and planning laws relaxed in a bid to drive growth. And Simon Clark, MP, said the region would serve as an ideal home. He said, I would absolutely love to see some in the West Midlands, and I'm sure there will be some here. This is an area at the heart of levelling up with a lot of untapped potential. The whole purpose is to provide tax and planning opportunities to deliver things at pace. There's a lot of projects that might take years to come to fruition or may never happen at all if we don't have these zones set up. Bidding closes today with the Treasury set to announce the first tranche of investment zones on November the 2nd. The West Midlands Combined Authority is bidding for four sites, including the Wolverhampton-Warsaw Corridor and an area along the route of the Wensbury-Briley Hill Metro extension. Staffordshire County Council also said it was submitting a bid. Mr Clark said the investment zones would operate in a similar way to freeports, which benefit from tax and customs incentives. He said they would be targeted areas identified by local authorities of a few hectares rather than entire towns or cities. It is basically about expediting growth, Mr Clark added. We recognise there are a lot of global pressures at the moment and the more we can do to encourage good things to happen and not in 2025 or 2030, but next year, the better. Union bosses have accused Royal Mail of using scare tactics after the company announced it would consult up to 6,000 redundancies. The delivery giant has blamed industrial action for mammoth financial losses. Bosses urged union chiefs to call off their latest strike action and come off to the table over a deal, but stressed the job cut plans cannot be avoided. Royal Mail Chief Executive Simon Thompson said, that the planned redundancies are a minimum and more could take place if strike action is extended. Dave Jones, Secretary of the Wolverhampton and District Branch of the Communication Workers' Union, said, 
It's just another tactic of Royal Mail to scare and intimidate the workers who are participating in strike action. The staff won't be scared by those tactics. We don't want to lose any jobs out of the industry, but we will move with the times. We are prepared to embrace technology. We want to do that for the right pay, terms and conditions. The cuts announcement comes a day after Royal Mail workers in the Communication Workers Union launched a fresh strike in a long-running dispute over pay and conditions. Mr Jones said the strikes so far had largely been met with support by the public. He added, in our area we have superb support. We don't like striking and disrupting the public service. What we want is fair pay and terms and conditions. We worked all the way through the pandemic and were key workers. We feel we never had the just rewards for that. Royal Mail said the move is in response to the impact of industrial action, delays delivering agreed productivity improvements and lower parcel volumes. It said it is seeking short-term cost efficiencies through the planned reduction of 5,000 full-time equivalent roles by March and around 10,000 by August. A support package for staff who experience baby loss will be introduced at NHS Trusts in the Black Country, it has been announced. As Baby Loss Awareness Week draws to a close, the Royal Wolverhampton NHS Trust and Warsaw Healthcare NHS Trust have announced the introduction of a package of support. It includes periods of paid leave for both the person who was pregnant and their partner. In addition, the trusts are providing increased support for families who have a baby born prematurely. Following in the footsteps of Birmingham Women's and Children's NHS Foundation Trust, which announced a similar policy last year, the organisations have introduced the offer to ensure that their workforce has the time and space to grieve. The policy offers up to 10 days paid leave for the person who was pregnant and up to 10 days paid leave for the partner, paid time off for appointments linked to pregnancy loss and a promise that all requests to work flexibly following a bereavement will also be treated with understanding and sensitivity. Introducing the new policy, Group Chief Executive Professor David Loughton said, One in four pregnancies end in loss, which means that as many as 4,000 people across our workforce will experience this. Many of them suffer in silence with some back at work the next day. This needs to change. We have introduced this policy to ensure that if our staff do experience the tragedy of pregnancy loss, then they know they have our full support to take the time and space that they really need. Carla Jones-Charles, Director of Midwifery, Gynaecology and Sexual Health at Warsaw Healthcare NHS Trust said, It is poignant in Baby Loss Awareness Week that we are recognising that many of our staff will have suffered the sad loss of a baby. It is so important to support them at what is a very difficult time and I really welcome this offer. Up next, we hear from Helen, who of course has for us the Beacon Update. Hi everyone, it's Helen back with another Beacon Update. Now first this week, we would like to say a very big Thank you to everyone who took part in our Bright for Sight Day last week. We asked people to wear bright clothing on Thursday, October the 13th to help us spread the message that bright colours and good contrast can help you make the most of your sight. We love seeing how everyone got involved and we were able to share some pictures across our social media channels. We'd also like to thank everyone who donated to support our work on the day. We so appreciate your support. Now, next this week, our block switch shop is undergoing an exciting revamp at the moment. We can't wait to share the finished results with you in a few weeks, but we kindly ask if you're in the area and would like to make a donation, please don't leave them outside our shop while we're closed, as unfortunately, we're unable to store them while the refurbishment works are taking place. Our other shops will be happy to accept any items you wish to donate, though, You can find their locations on our website, www.beaconvision.org forward slash shops. Alternatively, you can give us a call on 01902 880 111. Now, 
Christmas, yeah, it's certainly getting towards that time of year. And I'm so delighted to tell you that our festive feast Christmas menu is now available to book. During selected dates in December, we'll be serving up an indulgent free course menu at our Sedgley Centre restaurant for just £22 per person, including live entertainment. Eat, drink and be merry with Beacon this Christmas. To find out more, you can head to our website, www.beaconvision.org or call our reception on 01902-880-111 between 9 and 3pm Monday to Friday to book. Now, here's a conundrum for you. What can you do with five tennis balls and a baking tray? Well, here at Beacon, we'd use them to help teach Braille to beginners. The large tennis balls act as the raised dots used to represent the alphabet and because they're bigger, it's easier for our members to feel them. Once they've got the hang of that, they move on to the more traditional version or even learn with an electronic device. It's actually just been National Braille Week, so we'd love to hear if you use Braille to help you better communicate. If you'd like to find out more how we can support you, call us. I've given you the number a few times, but one more time won't hurt today. 01902 880111. That's it for this week. I'll be back again soon. Cheers for that update, Helen. Up now, we're our next block of local news. And starting this one off, we first hear Christine. The truth is, we do not have the money. That's what the leader of Birmingham City Council and chair of West Midlands Combined Authority Transport Subcommittee said when recently asked about the Wensbury to Briley Hill Metro extension. Ian Ward also gave a general update on West Midlands Transport, including news there will likely be more cuts, describing the situation as a little bit of a grim picture. Warning of further cuts, Mr Ward said they could apply to assisted travel policies which use 20% of transport for West Midlands' total budget. These policies ensure those with accessibility are enabled to use transport. He said... I don't mislead myself that any of those decisions will be easy. They will be very, very tough decisions if we are to take any of them at all. Dudley Councillor Catherine Baton chaired the meeting and started by asking Mr Ward, whilst the combined authority has ambition in lots of areas, including transport, if we haven't got the resources to match the ambition, where do we go with that? Ian Ward responded, I think the answer to that is fairly obvious. We will have to cut our cloth to suit, won't we? The Wensbury to Briley Hill Metro there is not funding for, but it has been built into the medium-term financial plan, some £4.8 million from 2025 to 2026 onwards to support that. But the truth is, we do not have the money. I think there has been a problem which we all bear some blame for, which goes back a number of years. We have continued to make commitments that cost money on the assumption that things will all remain the same. But as we have seen with recent events, things are not remaining the same. We now have an inflation rate of the best part of 10%. We have energy prices rocketing through the roof because of events elsewhere and we have interest rates going up more than they otherwise would have done because of government action. Council bosses have been urged to face up to mistakes made during the eight-year revamp of Wolverhampton Civic Halls as costs have spiralled to £48 million. The overhaul of the venue, which had been set to open later this year after first closing in 2015, has been described as an open checkbook project after costs continued to soar due to several delays. The ruling Labour group was last night urged to recognise the mistakes made during a scrutiny board meeting at the Civic Centre. Opposition Tory councillors sought assurances that the budget would not increase again, saying the entire project was a disaster that had let residents down. Councillor Simon Bennett said, Can you tell me today there will be no more increases to this open checkbook project? David Patterson, Chief Operating Officer, assured councillors that professional advisers 
are indicating the budget will not increase again. Conservative councillor Ellis Turrell described deep discomfort over the latest increase to the budget for the project and asked the council to recognise its shortcomings with regard to the project. He said, Public and residents feel let down about the entire project. It was a disaster. The whole project has been a disaster. But there is not a single recognition that the council has made mistakes. I don't feel the public can have faith in this council to undertake a major project ever again. What would you say to residents? Labour councillor Stephen Simkins said he would say, Welcome back to the best in the country, civic halls. He said, It is going to be the best in the country and we welcome competition. Who can afford to turn down £10 million a year to the economy? This authority backs Wolverhampton and we have backed the civic halls to the hills. Part of a busy black country road will soon close as work to install a purpose-built bridge for the Wensbury to Brierley Hill metro route gets underway. A section of Sedgley Road East in Tipton will close from October the 24th until mid-December. Those using the road over the autumn are being asked to leave more time for their journeys and to follow clearly signed diversion routes. Public transport users are also being advised that bus services in the area may run on amended routes and they should check their operator's website before they travel. Pedestrian diversions will be in place as footpaths beneath the structure are temporarily closed. It is anticipated that the closures will be lifted by mid-December. The Midland Metro Alliance has worked closely with Sandrail Council and Transport for West Midlands to notify residents, businesses and organisations directly impacted by the localised closure, sharing tips on how they can avoid disruption by using travel planning information. Tom Mablethorpe, Project Director at the Midland Metro Alliance, which is designing and building the route on behalf of Transport for West Midlands, said... The works to install the new bridge follow activity in the summer of 2020 to remove the old structure over Sedgley Road, along with subsequent offline works to facilitate the new structure. We're pleased that those living close by will be able to witness this exciting step forward in this project as one of the final new structures for phase one of this route is installed. During the autumn works on Sedgley Road East, people will be able to complete their journeys following a short and clearly signed diversion route. Mark Corbyn, Director of Network Resilience at Transport for West Midlands, said The closure will be in place throughout the autumn and during this time delays are possible, so we are asking people to consider their journeys wherever they can. Moves to make Wolverhampton's digital infrastructure accessible to everyone in the city with the rollout of full fibre broadband and 5G have made significant progress, a report has revealed. Council bosses who adopted a specialised strategy in January 2020 in order to achieve this have stated the city is reliant on a future-proofed digital infrastructure as the backbone of a modern thriving economy that drives productivity and delivers efficient public services. In a report to members, the Council's Head of External Funding and Digital Projects, Heather Clark, said, Significant progress has been made in the rollout of future-proofed digital infrastructure since the adoption of the strategy. 170 public sector buildings have been upgraded to full fibre broadband, funded by a £4.9 million local full fibre network grant. Wolverhampton's gigabit coverage, 300 MB, has increased significantly from 2% in September 2020 to 93% in January 2022. Full fibre broadband coverage, 1GB, has also increased from 1% of properties in January 2020 to 19% of properties in January 2022. As of September this year, we understand that in terms of premises now passed, performance is at a national average of 33% and will be available for customers shortly. 
Delivery of this strategy cannot be done in isolation, so the Council established a digital partnership to maximise the benefits of digital for local people, she added. City Fibre are currently commercially rolling out full fibre in the city and OpenReach and Virgin Media have also announced an upgrade of their infrastructure to full fibre starting soon. All mobile network operators have announced rollout of 5G in the city, accelerated by over six months due to a proactive approach. The rate of MMR vaccinations for children in Staffordshire and the Black Country is behind the target needed for herd immunity, figures show. NHS England is urging parents to ensure their children are booked to get the jab after the uptake rate across the country fell to its lowest level in more than a decade. The MMR jab protects against measles, mumps and rubella, highly infectious conditions which can easily spread between unvaccinated people and have life-changing consequences. For a child to be fully protected, they should receive two vaccinations, the first around their first birthday and the second when they are three. NHS digital figures show 85.2% of youngsters in Warsaw were fully vaccinated by their fifth birthday in 2021-22. The figure was 90.4% in Dudley, 79% in Wolverhampton, 80.4% in Sandwell and 90.4% in Staffordshire. This was behind the 95% target set by the World Health Organisation. Across England, the uptake rate has fallen to the lowest level seen in 11 years. 85.7% of five-year-olds across the country were fully vaccinated against MMR in 2021-22, compared to 86.6% the previous year. Dr Doug Brown, Chief Executive of the British Society for Immunology, said the latest NHS figures, which also show a decrease in national uptake for other childhood jabs, such as the six-in-one vaccine, are extremely worrying. Immediate action to reverse this alarming multi-year downward trend and protect our communities from preventable diseases is urgently needed, he said. Vaccines save lives and are the safest and most effective method to protect our children against disease. Low levels of vaccination coverage matter as it means these diseases have the potential to spread within our communities, infecting unvaccinated people, including vulnerable individuals unable to have vaccinations such as young babies or people with cancer. We can and must do better. Now it's time to test your knowledge as we have the quiz questions for this edition and they're brought to us by Mina. Hello and welcome to this week's Cider-themed Flashback Quiz. All the answers you need can be found later in Flashback Rogers' Did You Know feature. But for now, here are your questions. Are you ready? Question 1. How many apples make one gallon of cider? Question 2. What are cider apples sometimes called? Question 3. How much cider formed part of a farm worker's pay? Question 4. What is said to hopefully ensure a good apple crop? Question 5. What is another name for rough cider? And finally, question six. What fruit is Perry made from? As always, I'll be back to reveal the answers later in the show. But for now, good luck. Thank you very much for those questions, Mina. I'll give those a ponder as the show progresses. Up now, however, we have another block of local news. And kicking this one off for us, we first hear the voice of Ian. Passengers and a bus driver in Dudley have called for routes to be safeguarded and more buses to be introduced amid plans to cut them back. Transport chiefs are looking to remove or reduce routes across the area and wider black country, with a total of 20 being affected by the move. 
It comes due to fewer passengers using services in the area since COVID-19 two years ago, increased costs and fewer bus drivers being available. But for people at Dudley Bus Station, plans to cut back more services led to frustration and calls for it to be reversed and more investment added. Rebecca Barker, who lives near Merry Hill, said, I think there should be more buses in the evening because it's not safe to be out there on your own. I was expecting they would be putting more buses on because of that, and for the weekends too. It's hard if you're working because you'll have to either walk or get a taxi in. I got on a bus this morning and couldn't sit down anywhere, so people are still using them. Meanwhile, 75-year-old Josie Johnson, who lives in Tipton but travelled into Dudley, said, I don't feel too good about it. The service now is terrible from where I live and everything is being cut, isn't it? I wouldn't say I use the buses every day, but at least twice a week, and they are just not turning up and you have to wait half an hour to get even one. Mushtaq Ahmed, who lives in Dudley, said the services reductions marked a problem as he echoed others and called for improvements to be made instead, hitting out at lengthy delays. The 72-year-old said, So many times you're waiting for a bus and they just disappear and you're not sure whether it's coming or not. They don't run properly. Sometimes you're there waiting an hour for services and this will make it worse and worse. I know not many people are getting on sometimes, but it's important for the few passengers who do. New trains will be introduced on a line connecting the West Midlands and Shropshire very shortly as part of an almost £700 million investment in the network. A total of 26 trains, known as Class 196s, will replace the 20-year-old fleet operated by West Midlands Railway with more room and more seats for passengers. The first of these will enter service on the line between Birmingham and Shrewsbury, which calls at Wolverhampton, in the coming weeks as part of the rollout. The new trains boast around 15% more seats and 25% more capacity, also taking into account standing room than the existing fleet of Class 170s. A four-carriage train will have 311 seats compared with the current fleet, which have 122 over two carriages and a total of 244 when two trains are coupled together. The move comes despite widespread strike action affecting the network, with union chiefs locked in a row with the government over pay, with more action set to come. Ian McConnell, Managing Director of West Midlands Trains, which runs West Midlands Railway Services, said the company has invested £690 million in total with the new trains and related infrastructure. He said, we're going to be rolling out the new fleet over most of the network and we wanted to start somewhere in the centre to the region and this route is really important to us. West Midlands Mayor Andy Street said, it's a big day, we've been waiting for this since West Midlands trains took over the line and this is an almost £700 million investment which will give an improved customer service to people using the service. Plans for a new seven-storey teaching block with classrooms, studios and a cafe have been unveiled by Hales Owen College. The development will strip the inside of the landmark Trinity Point building on New Road to provide facilities for up to 700 students who could move in next year. Hales Owen College has now agreed on a deal to purchase the building which is currently functioning as a half-empty office space. As part of the plans, the first floor will be ripped out to make way for reception and a cafe, followed by classrooms and IT facilities on the remaining six floors. A statement from Howe Owen College said, From reviewing the Howe Owen Area Action Plan, the current building and layout offers a suitable opportunity for Howe Owen College to create a strong presence on entrance into Howe Owen Town Centre and redevelop an existing building that suits the opportunity identified within the local plan. The college currently delivers teaching over three sites. The main Whittingham Road campus, Shenston House on Dudley Road, and a unit on the Coomswood Business Park. Recruitment has been on a steadily upward trajectory for many years. 
This has been accelerated in recent years by the closure of Stourbridge College and a rising demographic trend in the local area. This has increased pressure on current resources, which has not only proved challenging in terms of accommodating new students, but has also proved problematic when the college wishes to rehouse existing students in order to carry out crucial repairs and improvements to buildings. The provision of new high-quality teaching resources at Trinity Point will not only allow for an element of growth, but more importantly, will allow the college to decant learners from the Whittingham Road campus to Trinity Point. Developers say they hope to start work on the project, subject to planning permission, in the new year and hope to move some of the students in by September 2023. A third of parents whose children will be starting secondary school in Wolverhampton next year have yet to apply for a place. The deadline for applications is the third, Monday the 31st of October and parents are asked to ensure they submit theirs before this date. Councillor Chris Burden, Wolverhampton Council's Cabinet Member for Education, Skills and Work, said, If your child is in their final year at primary or junior school, you should now be making your application for a secondary school place for them. While making the transfer to secondary school may seem a long way off, the closing date for applications is the 31st of October, so time really is of the essence. He added, Nearly 70% of parents have already completed their applications, but many have not yet started. In addition, a further 400 have begun their applications, but have not yet submitted them, so I'd urge them to log on and finish them as soon as they can. The process is quick and easy, and ensuring applications are made before the deadline will increase the chances of securing a place at a preferred school. To apply for a school place, parents should log on to wolverhampton.gov.uk slash admissions and complete the short application process. Parents and guardians will be notified of their children's allocated school place on the 1st of March 2023. An apartment conversion in Starbridge has produced a string of concerns over traffic collisions. Residents say visitors to the nursing home opposite, as well as the starving rascal pub, are already clogging up the streets. Plans would see the existing house on College Street in Amblecote transformed into two one-bedroom apartments. Planning chiefs say parking demand is no greater than the existing requirements of the three-bedroom dwelling. They added, refusal of permission on highway safety grounds is not therefore deemed to be sustainable but residents are worried that the situation will deteriorate if three families instead of one move into the apartments. One resident said, The development would be out of character and removal of existing on-street parking provision by lowering the curb would be a problem as there are already existing parking issues. The addition of more vehicles would also be a concern. The road is already congested with Combaton Nursing Home opposite and visitors to the starving Rascal Pub, who use College Street to park. Both apartments could house couples who both own cars, with possibly four cars requiring parking spaces. In addition to parking concerns, residents fear the development would be out of character with the local area. Another resident said, The dwelling is within a row of period three-bedroom family properties and is not suitable for conversion to flats due to it being at odds with all the other properties and impractical in terms of insufficient space, parking, storage and living areas. Three and four guide dog owners say they've been refused access to public buildings or transport services. This should not be happening because the UK Equality Act of 2010 protects service dogs in the UK for unlawful discrimination. This article, read by Alastair, explains the legal rights of access for guide dog owners. TNF Soundings Features from across the UK This is Alastair Hutton with an article written by Fiona. If you've ever been asked to leave premises because you're accompanied by your guide dog, you'll sympathise with Dave Kent. He was asked three times by a security guard to leave a branch of Marks and Spencer's in West London because he had his guide dog, Faldo, with him. However, as a senior executive with the charity Guide Dogs, Dave knew that being asked to leave because of Faldo was against the law. 
He asked to speak to the manager of the store and received an apology. Speaking to The Guardian afterwards, he said the incident highlighted a continuing problem of blind and partially sighted people being refused entry or asked to leave shops because they had guide dogs with them. According to the Guide Dogs charity, three in every four guide dog owners say they've experienced an access refusal in the past. Part of the problem may be that security companies employed in stores don't train staff in the details of access rights for working and service dogs. This should not be happening because the UK Equality Act of 2010 protects service dogs in the UK from unlawful discrimination when entering places where animals are prohibited or when accompanying owners by taxi, bus or aeroplane. Guide Dogs has now launched a campaign, Open Doors for Guide Dogs, which aims to ensure all businesses allow access for guide dogs, and they plan to petition the new Prime Minister to end access refusals. On their website, the charity says guide dog owners continue to face access refusals from businesses and services, including cafes, shops and taxis, because they're accompanied by their guide dog, despite this refusal being almost always illegal. They say access refusals can have a negative impact on people's confidence and on their lives. That's why we're working to open doors for guide dogs. We're educating businesses on the law and we're campaigning for government to strengthen it. They're encouraging guide dog owners to download their new phone app called Guide Dogs, which is available free from the App Store. The app suits both Android and iOS and can help users report access refusals or get support. As well as stores and cafes, transport, including taxis, public transport and air travel, are also included in the equalities legislation. Although the ride-hailing company Uber will transport passengers with pets for a small additional fee, there is no additional fee to carry service animals such as guide or hearing dogs. Uber's website states that in accordance with the Equality Act 2010, drivers are required to transport passengers with service animals unless the driver has a medical exemption, regardless of the ride option. Uber drivers have also been reminded of their legal obligations and warned that if they knowingly refuse to transport a rider because they have a service animal with them, they risk losing access to the Uber app permanently. Travelling by bus with a guide dog or hearing dog is becoming easier, with most major cities providing guidance on their websites. However, there are many different bus operators, so it's best to check arrangements with your local company before making travel plans. National Rail, whose membership consists of the rail companies of England, Scotland and Wales, reports that assistance dogs can travel free of charge and can accompany their owner even on a sleeper train. Unlike pet dogs, recognised guide and other assistance dogs can travel with their owners in the cabin of an aircraft with the UK, European and most international air carriers. They'll provide floor space in an adjoining seat or across the bulkhead, usually at no additional charge to guide and assistance dog owners. However, you should check with your airline as some will provide additional floor space at a reduced cost. Hopefully, You'll find this information helpful when planning your next trip, whether you're shopping or traveling. TNS Soundings. Coming up next on this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News, we have another block of local news. And starting this one off, we first hear from Liz. Work is continuing to prepare one of the biggest bonfire and firework events in the region for its date with the public. The Himley Bonfire and Fireworks Show will be returning to the park on Saturday, November the 5th, for an evening for the whole family, including a 30-minute firework display set to music inspired by the story of Around the World in 80 Days. The event, which is expected to welcome more than 20,000 people, will feature a large bonfire, giant funfair, street entertainment performances, a night market and food from around the world and there are VIP and premium space tickets available to buy for the event. VIP tickets will provide access to the hall, including two rooms with seating, 
the hard standing area on the terrace with views across the south lawns and lake and the premium viewing area as well as a private bar and indoor toilets. Councillor Sean Kesey, Cabinet Member for Commercialisation and HR, said, We know thousands of families from across the region are eagerly awaiting our wonderful bonfire and fireworks event. Himley Bonfire is always a huge draw and last year's event sold out fast, so grab your tickets now to avoid disappointment. We are expecting more than 20,000 people to join us on 5th of November and we are asking people to jump on one of the free buses to help minimise congestion. For those who do plan to drive, parking is limited and spaces tend to fill up quickly at the park, so please set out with plenty of time and be mindful that spaces may not be available. Event tickets are available online now with all the latest details and information at himleyhallandpark.co.uk forward slash bonfire dash tickets. Wolverhampton Chamber Choir is celebrating Vaughan Williams' 150th anniversary year with a concert next month. The choir will be singing Mass in G minor, five mystical songs and serenade to music. Stuart Orme, baritone, Hannah Spedding, soprano, Lydia Goodhall, alto, Tom Frith, tenor and Toby Barnard on organ will be directed by Geoffrey Weaver. The concert begins at 4pm on Saturday, November the 12th at St Peter's Collegiate Church, Lichgates, Wolverhampton. Tickets are £12, free for under-18s and will be available on the door. It's an all-too-common plight. A mother orangutan trying to reach her baby in the wake of devastating deforestation which has left them without a home. And it's a prominent message which will be highlighted to visitors at Dudley Zoo and Castle through a piece of eye-catching steel artwork by black country artist Luke Perry. The piece, which has taken around six months to make, features around a 100 steel poles, of which 97 are cut to knee height to represent deforestation. And at the heart of the work is a female Bornean orangutan who is clinging on to two of the remaining poles, trying to reach out to her young child. The young orangutan is situated on the third pole but is just out of reach to his mother an emotional message to hammer home the plights. It follows on from another piece of artwork by the Cradley artist, which has taken pride of place in the Lima exhibit after it was unveiled two years ago. Mr Perry said, I'm very concerned about the environment and the zoo have got brilliant policies towards their animals and raising awareness. We started talking about how to draw attention to the plights of the animals. So with lemurs, it was subjects like deforestation and poaching and other concerns there are. People responded to it very well and off the back of that, we thought about doing something about the orangutans and their plight. The key point we're working on is that 97% of orangutans' habitat has been lost, leaving only 3% left. I wanted to do 100 poles, 97 of which are cut at around knee height to resemble a forest to show that. And then we have the mother orangutan holding on to two and her baby is holding on to one, but they can't reach each other. It's an easy to understand message because we haven't got the time for a lack of interpretation. People need to see that key message. Wolves players Adama Traore and Totti have paid a surprise visit to a Wolverhampton school as part of the Premier League's No Room for Racism campaign. The pair joined a workshop led by the Wolves Foundation at St Peter's Collegiate Academy, which saw around 200 Year 9 students in attendance. Traore and Totti were able to share some of their thoughts, including experiences of racism in the game during a Q&A session hosted by Foundation Ambassador and Sky Sports presenter Johnny Phillips. Adama opened up about his experiences of racism growing up in Spain and believes education at a young age is important. He said, when you are younger, the first thing that comes to your mind is anger because you don't understand why they treat you differently only because of the colour of your skin. 
This first encounter of racism when you are younger, I think you're just confused. I remember when I was going home to my mum and I didn't know why it was going on, why people compare me with a monkey, why they say certain things. But now I think it's important to give love, to teach them, to try to understand them and try to tell them how you feel. Students at St. Peter's engaged brilliantly with the tasks and worked maturely to offer ideas and solutions throughout the workshop. Tino Macombi, Year 9, said, The workshop and talk by Adama and Totti changed my perspective of the world. They taught me how to deal with the times in my life when I might experience racism. They also inspired me to channel my energy into my work and to always give my best to everything so I can excel. A black country couple are set to retire after working in the pub industry for 33 years. Amanda and Ian Passmore from Penn and Parkfields, Wolverhampton, have run eight different pubs in that time. Their hard work is set to come to an end at the end of October, where they will both enjoy retirement. The couple have worked together for 33 years, first starting at the training centre at Marston's. After completing the training, they started with the brewery, then their first pub was the Bull's Head in Gornal. From there, they moved around to several pubs across the black country. The couple worked at eight different pubs in total, but ran the Hollybush in Penn Road, Wolverhampton on two different occasions. Amanda said, We've worked for Marston's for 33 years and run eight different pubs in that time. We've met some brilliant people along the way in all of the pubs. We moved to the Forge in Pensnet in 2018 and we have been here ever since. The brewery has given us a really good pension and so we are retiring at the end of the month. The fact that we have done 33 years is amazing. We're both 58. It's been a long and hard career with many long unsociable hours. We plan to be spending a lot of time with family now. We have four grandchildren and so no doubt they will keep us busy, Amanda added. We've met so many different characters along the way, made a lot of friends it's been fantastic. We want to thank Marston's. They've looked after us over the time. A farewell evening has been organised at the Forge in Pensnet on Friday, October the 28th at 7pm for a chance to thank all their staff, customers and friends they've met during their careers. Up now, it's trivia time, brought to us by Flashback Roger and his Did You Know feature. Hello everyone. Well, we had a trip to Budley last week and saw something of their apple harvest. It looked like a bumper crop this year, so I can imagine someone in the dim and distant past thinking to himself, I'll never eat this lot. Oh no, I'll brew some at up. So here goes. Now then, did you know that? It takes about 36 apples to make just one gallon of cider. And on November the 18th, 1307, the legendary William Tell shot an apple from his son's head. So now we know why November the 18th is now National Apple Cider Day in the UK. And the word spitters, apparently, is a word of praise in the cider industry. Some great apples that are perfect for cider making taste just awful if you take a bite. These cider apples are nicknamed after what you would probably do after a bite. Raw, they can taste like a teabag, but they create incredible sophisticated ciders, so they say. Because cider was safer than water back in medieval times, it was often used by the church to baptise babies. It was even used as part payment to farm workers who were given a daily allowance of one quart, that's 1.1 litres of cider each day. And the practice of wassailing is an old English custom still carried out today in some areas of the southwest of England and is supposed to appease the deities of the apple trees and ensure a good crop for cider apples. And cider apples are fermented in the same way as wine. The first fermentation can be carried out by naturally occurring yeasts present in the apple skins or the cider maker's choice of yeast may be added. During fermentation, the natural sugars found in the apples are converted to ethanol. In the West Country counties of Devon and Cornwall, rough cider is often called scrumpy. 
is made from unselected apples and the apple juice is fermented out to produce a stronger version of cider where genuine scrumpy is said to be a little apple flavour, but who cares? And apples aren't the only fruit for us Brits to make booze from, because in Herefordshire and Worcestershire they brew a fine drink out of pears called perry. Perry pears are packed with dry bitter tannins and rapier sharp acidity, yet they're sweet at the same time, and it's this delicate balance that lies behind the drink's complexity. Well there's a few mysteries uncovered that I knew nothing about. Mind you, talking about perry made me think about baby sham. Now did you know that the original baby sham glasses and the little baby deer advertising figures are worth a lot of money nowadays to collectors? So have a dig round in the back of your cupboards, you may have a hidden gem in there. I hope you have. But anyway, till next week I'll just say, ta-ra a bit. Ta-ra! Cheers for that, Roger. Insightful as always. Up now then, we're over into the football news. Richard Beale began his caretaker spell by ending Albion's nine-match winless run as academy graduate Taylor Gardner-Hickman took centre stage from midfield. The 20-year-old was handed a Reading recall by the Baggies' under-21 boss and created Albion's first goal, dispatched by Matty Phillips, in a wonderful and timely 2-0 win in Berkshire for just the second championship success of the season. Gardner-Hickman then rounded off a week which started with Albion sacking Steve Bruce with a stunning second from 25 yards to steal the win, his first senior goal. The He's One of Our Own chant was given several renditions at the Select Car Leasing Stadium as the Royals, who started fifth in the league, were swept aside. The cries were certainly reserved for Gardner Hickman, who gave a virtuoso display, but also for goalkeeper Alex Palmer for a string of important last saves, and 18-year-old Reyes Cleary the exciting forward introduced from the bench for the final half hour for his league debut. Reading, with manager Paul Ince not in the dugout due to illness, were comfortably second best. They rallied late on and forced some chances, went two goals behind, but it was too little too late. The win provides Albion's decision makers some food for thought and thinking time as they continue the recruitment process in search of Bruce's replacement. On Tuesday, Albion were dealt a numbing reality check in front of their home crowd, as Bristol City eased to a comfortable 2-0 victory. Hopes of the baggies having turned a corner in the post-Steve Bruce era were extinguished as Richard Beale's caretaker team slumped to a first defeat. It was the polar opposite to the highs of a memorable away success in Reading on Saturday, which snapped a winless run and appeared to suggest better times ahead. But toothless Albion barely laid gloves on the Robins, who themselves had struggled for form. Nigel Pearson's men strolled to the victory, with Joe Williams and Naka Wells on target for the first half. Those fans who managed to beat the congestion to make the game streamed out well before the full-time whistle after the chastening evening. Albion's front line continues to struggle to threaten the opposition goal. The Baggies managed just four efforts at goal, none on target. The demoralising defeat is failed under a stark reality check for Albion and their need for the next incumbent at the helm to quickly address the issues in the side. The home side were outrun in the middle of the pitch and passed around by City, who are 11th and now are 7 points clear of the baggies. West Brom next have a trip to the capital on Saturday, where they take on Millwall. A late penalty save from Jose Sarr saw Wolves pick up just their second win in 10 Premier League games, with victory over Nottingham Forest. In what had been the story of their season, the first half saw Wolves get into good positions but failed to pick out the right pass or shot. Forest, who were by far the poorest team Wolves have played this season, were happy to sit in their defensive shape and soak up the pressure. With the game destined to be a low-scoring one, Wolves finally tested the Forest goal when VAR awarded them a penalty early in the second half. Ruben never scored it, notching Wolves' first goal in more than a month. The game hit a lull and Wolves were happy to see it out, until disaster struck and VAR awarded Forest a penalty. Brennan Rogers stepped up, but goalkeeper Saar who is nursing a fractured wrist, pulled off a wonder save to send Modern New Wild. The host saw out a long period of injury time to secure an important three points. On Tuesday, Wolves threw away a lead at Crystal Palace to record their sixth defeat in 11 games after a second half capitulation. The visitors started brightly and were aggressive in the tackle 
and despite a lapse of concentration in a period of the first 35, they managed to take a lead through Adama Traore. But Wolves are yet to book the trend of collapsing during games, and once again they crumbled. With less than 60 seconds at the second half played, Ibrici Eze netted the hosts, and they were on top from that moment onwards. Too many individuals failed to deliver and defensive frailties crept in, as Wilfred Zahar predictably netted the winner, leaving Wolves scratching their heads as to how they threw away the game. After the encounter, Steve Davis said, I thought we executed the game plan really well first half. I thought we stifled them with our tens and scored with the best move. It was a great cross and a header, Adama getting round the back, which we've been trying to do for a while. Then obviously Neves' big moment with the free kick. That was crucial. I was disappointed with the first 15 minutes. We've talked at half-time and how we could start because we knew they would probably get a few choice words from their manager. But we weren't ready. We needed to approach the game slightly differently, go a bit longer, but we still tried to play. As a group, we've got to recognise that in that moment of the game, if we'd have seen that through, we'd have probably gone on and got a better result. Wolves next welcome basement side Leicester to the Molyneux this Saturday. Up now, we have to hear what the weather has in store for us. Brought to us as always by Mina. The weather for this week ahead is going to be full of showers and these have the potential to be stormy at times. Temperatures for this week will be typically hovering around 15 degrees. UV levels are expected to be low throughout the week. The sunrise and sunset times are 7.51am for the sunrise and 17.53pm for the sunset. For Friday 21st of October, we have thundery showers and a gentle breeze with a maximum temperature of 17 degrees. Moving on to Saturday 22nd and Sunday 23rd of October, we have light rain showers and a gentle breeze with a maximum temperature of 16 degrees. On Monday 24th and Tuesday 25th of October, we have light rain and a gentle breeze with a maximum temperature of 15 degrees. And for Wednesday 26th and Thursday 27th of October, we have light rain showers and a gentle breeze with a maximum temperature of 15 degrees. So that's your forecast for this week. As always, enjoy the weather. Thanks for that, Mina. Now we move over to Craig and his Black Country joke book. Hello, I'm Craig and I've got for you today some jokes from my Boston Black Country joke book. And apparently the elements of the reserve gone on strike. They're fed up working for peanuts. In addition to that, supervisors of the bunker cars at the local fun fair on strike because they think one of them suffered fun fair dismissal. While we're talking about the world of work, a friend of mine puts blood, sweat and tears into everything he does. He's a great guy, but an awful chef. And finally, another friend of mine used to install kitchen work services. He was arrested for counterfeiting. Hang on, Craig, and that's my Black Country joke book. Have you done any good at the quiz this week? Well, now's the time to find out, as we have the quiz answers. Hello, and here are your answers for this week's flashback quiz. Are you ready? Question one. How many apples make one gallon of cider? And the answer, 36. Question two. What are cider apples sometimes called? And the answer here is spitters. Question three. How much cider formed part of a farm worker's pay? And the answer here is one quart, which is 1.1 litres. Question four. What is said to hopefully ensure a good apple crop? And the answer here is washalling. Question five. What is another name for rough cider? And the answer here is scrumpy. And finally, question six. What fruit is Perry made from? 
And the answer here is pears. How did you do? Great, I hope. But if not, there's always another chance to have a go next week. Now, did you get the answer to this week's Guess the Sound question that Rob asked at the start of the show? Here's one more chance to hear it before I tell you the answer. The sound you just heard was the recording of rustling leaves. Now, to end this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News, we have some gardening tips for October. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. This is Jan with In the October Garden, written by Jane. Many things are happening in the garden in October. You may have noticed the colourful leaves which have dried out and dropped to the ground. You may have noticed them in a different way, by the crunchy, crackly sound they make as you walk upon them. Autumn has arrived. You may hear the sound of conkers or horse chestnuts dropping from the trees in their prickly cases. They are just in time for children to collect them and use them for conquer competitions. In the evenings you may hear the snuffling of hedgehogs under the bushes as they hunt for food. It is becoming popular for people to protect these creatures by making hedgehog runways between gardens, by making holes in fences or walls so that hedgehogs can move easily from garden to garden. Hedgehogs enjoy a bowl of water rather than milk to drink. Gardeners are still pruning plants and are planting spring bulbs in readiness for a bright spring garden. Tender plants are best placed in a greenhouse or shed to overwinter away from the frost. Ripe apples and pears need to be picked and stored in a dry place until needed for jam making. Make sure they do not touch each other or they may rot. Of course, pumpkins are everywhere. They are now ripe and can be harvested in time for Halloween celebrations. Grapes may be harvested too, so that winemaking can take place. October is indeed a busy month. Enjoy it. TNF Soundings So that's it for another edition of the Black Country Talking News. A reminder to our CD listeners who have received CDs in padded envelopes that you don't need to send anything back to us. If you have a sight loss tip or someone you would like to wish a happy birthday to, just say hello to. Maybe even a poem or talking book you would like reviewed, then please get in touch with us at the Beacon Centre. Call 01902 880 Email bctn at beaconvision.org or write to us at the Black Country Talking News, Beacon, Wolverhampton Road East, Wolverhampton, WV4 6AZ. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for listening and thank you to all our supporters, donators and volunteers who without their support will be unable to run this free service. Please note the information and views expressed in this recording does not necessarily represent the views of Beacon or Talking News and were accurate at the time of recording. Mentions of goods and services does not imply endorsement and whilst every care is taken to supply accurate information, Beacon and Talking News do not undertake liability for any errors. So it's goodbye from all of us, stay safe, have a good week and we look forward to bringing you next week's edition of the Black Country Talking News. Ta-ra!